Mornings are better with a warm beverage, even for Latter-day Saints. Meet Postum, the ideal coffee alternative and proud sponsor of This Week in Mormons podcast. Spotted on the coffee aisle at Smith's Grocery or at your local nearby store. Can't locate it? No worries. Order it at postum.com. Explore delicious recipes to tailor your Postum experience. Start your day off right with Postum. Welcome, listener, to another episode of This Week in Mormons with the Mormon... Wait, we're not Mormon. We're just the siblings, right? We're the twin siblings. With the twin siblings. Maddie, it's so good to talk to you today. I was waiting for some fanfare music that you were going to sing. Bum, dun, da, 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 <laughs> Maddie and Melissa. <laughs> We've been waiting. I've been waiting for that for the whole month for you to do that. I've been waiting for you to ask me what's been going on in my life for the whole month. Melissa, what's going on in your life? Well, I got a haircut and nobody noticed. So uh, that's number I noticed, one. I noticed, Melissa. After <laughs> yes. you told me, I was like, whoa. After I told you. I'm pointing <laughs> out. And I spoke in church oh. and I was only slightly irreverent. And um, in your that's talk? It. In your talk? I mean, not. I just, listen, I am who I am. When my husband asked me to speak in church, which is his own dang fault for not getting a third speaker in time. And I'm his backup. And guess what? I am who I am. <laughs> he knew who I was when he picked me up. So I don't know what kind of a thought he t- talk he thought I was going to give, but I think it was pretty dang good. But I would say it wasn't reverent. That's fine. That's so, fine, right? It's fine, Melissa. You, you reminded me of a story. I've got to be careful. I don't want to name names because I don't want to like make anyone feel bad. But I was at this meeting okay. at BYU-Idaho and it was like community leaders and stuff and uh-huh. the chamber of commerce and mayors and county commissioners and stuff. And the president of BYU-Idaho was at this meeting. Okay. So important people. Yeah. Lots of important people. Mm-hmm. So this person stands up to speak because he's on the agenda and he says, the people of my community knew who I was when they voted for me. And so you get what you get. Oh, and then- okay. I like it. <laughs> so he's got his political views, which is fine. But at the <laughs> as he's nearing the end, he starts talking about how taxation is slavery and how oh. education is theft. And then he's like, I know. And I can see to the, the To the president of BYU-Idaho? Yes. And, you know, he's a general authority. So he's got this smile on his face for most of uh-huh. the time. But then as this man proceeds to talk, I can see the smile turn to this look of concern. And uh-huh. then... And then he ends with about how education is theft. And he's like, and I do work at BYU-Idaho, and I hope that I can continue doing that even after what I've said today. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, um, but isn't it big fun? picture, did he get to continue working there? <laughs> Don't know, I guess. Who knows? That could be a future story for this week in Mormons. But yeah, I like people well, being who they are. Got to be true to yourself. That's the thing. You got to be authentic. In fact, there was another young person who spoke after me. And he had just come back to church activity. I think he's 25 or 26 after having been gone from the church for a long time. And so he wasn't like, he didn't like have a really good talk. Like you can tell he didn't like, hadn't spoken in church a lot before. Right. But he kind of stood up and he's like, here's the thing. I, the sister who just sat down, um, she was authentic and that's Mm. what I'm going to try and be now. So, and so I was like, sure. Yeah, that's what we want. We want people to be real your testimony doesn't have to look exactly like everyone else's and right. anyway 
Right. It's a big tent. We invite everybody into the church and we want you to be yeah. who you are. Yeah. Yeah. How have you hey, been? What's been going on with you? Um, you know, I've been enjoying Groundhog Day. It's like a lot of fun for me. Did Has you know that happened? That, did you know today's Groundhog Day? No, I didn't. Yeah, I wake Here's up. all at, I or, need to know, spring or no spring? Um, what does it mean if the thing sees its shadow? Spring. You, I actually don't need a groundhog to tell me that spring because I can just go outside and it's spring. <laughs> so yeah, it it's, it's like, telling you like six weeks from now what's going to happen. It's t- the groundhog said spring is right around the corner. Okay, well, statistically, and I am making these numbers up, but statistically, the groundhog is correct something like 32% of the time. So oh, oh. what we should really do is believe the opposite of whatever it means. Oh. Statistically. <laughs> you can well, you're not really good at folklore. <laughs> Made up statistics <laughs> yeah. ruins folklore, Melissa. Uh-huh. Is there okay. anything more American than Groundhog Day? Like we will turn okay. anything into a holiday in the United States. Anything- How are you celebrating? What are you guys doing? Are you having like ground chuck for dinner or something? Like, <laughs> how do you celebrate you, Groundhog Day specifically? You you don't ever you you seriously never watch the Pens- the Pennsylvania thing where they pull out the Pen- groundhog? Pen- Pensatani. Pensatani. Yeah. Phil. 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 Yeah. No, I, no, I, no, I don't. Do you? I, do you have like a special? Family? I watched it live this morning. No, nobody else no. wakes up for it. They don't appreciate okay. it. Thousands of people. I'm not kidding. Thousands of people stand around and wait for this person to read this proclamation about the groundhog and what the groundhog prognostication is, and then they cheer hey, because spring soon. Speaking of folklore, I heard that next year it's going to happen at the Philadelphia Temple. Punxsutawney <laughs> Phil's going to come out at the Philadelphia Temple. <laughs> hey, listen. We'll see if I'm right. You might know, not know this, listener, but we've been now sponsored. This podcast is sponsored by Postum. Mm-hmm. And of all of the hosts, I think I'm the one that's most excited about this sponsorship because Postum has been a part of my family since it ever started. My wife loves Postum. Since She's the a- original Groundhog's Day, I think you guys have been <laughs> drinking Postum in celebration. So I don't want to tell Postum how to do their job. But I think okay. that Postum markets themselves poorly for our audience. Okay. Because they call themselves the coffee alternative. But okay. for someone like me that's never had coffee, a coffee alternative, it would be like marketing it as the cocaine alternative or the marijuana alternative. Oh. I have no idea like what that is or why I would want an alternative to it. So oh, I see. Okay. I'll explain why I like Postum. By the way, they just came out with a new chocolate-flavored Postum. Uh-huh. So... Like in our church, since we don't drink tea and coffee, oftentimes we de- we go to hot cocoa as our hot drink of choice. Mm-hmm. And hot cocoa is like really sweet and sugary. And yeah. post- Postum's not that way. So like if you're eating a donut or you're having toast with jam on it, or you're having some kind of like sweet pastry or something like that for breakfast, yeah. it's nice to not have a sweet beverage that goes along with it. And hmm. I'm I'm kind of like into like that dark, that really dark chocolate flavor that's kind of almost bitter. Yeah. And, and so what I love about Postum is it's like you can have it as your morning drink that goes along with something sweet, but it gives you a nice warm beverage in the morning that it's like, it's not bitter, but it's not sweet, sweet. It's like, it's a good contrast and it kind of, you can get your warm drink without like loading up on sugar. That's why I like Postum. That was beautiful, Matt. It was like a testimony of Postum. <laughs> and I will give a tip, a little postum tip. Okay. Uh, hot cocoa, you just put the cocoa in the water and stir it and you can drink it right away. Postum something, you should put it the hot water in, put the postum in, stir it, and then you got to let it sit for like a minute to two minutes for okay. it to really kind of mix in the water. If you do it too fast, 
that doesn't work so well. Well, I'm glad that you're our resident expert. And thank you, Matt. Thank you for sharing. I are feel gonna, all kinds of emotions. Are you going to try postum? Yeah, I tried postum and I mixed my diet Dr. Pepper in with it. <laughs> did I ever tell you that I wanted to? Like. I did ever tell you I wanted to open a, a shop called Dutch Brethren, and it would be postum <laughs> with caffeine pills in it for people who want to get <laughs> baptized, but they don't want to drink coffee. You can't have coffee, right? So it's like. Come to Dutch Brethren, and we'll give you your morning cup of joe, and it'll be okay. not coffee. It'll be postum with lots of caffeine in it. You can choose how much you want, and it'll feel like coffee for Just you. Just a minute. I'm really quickly buying that um, website before <laughs> anybody takes your Dutch, Dutch Brethren. Dutch Brethren. <laughs> okay. And purchased. Check. Okay. Hey, should we get to the Want to do some quick clips? Yeah. yeah let's let's, let's just go through some of these fastings. There's a lot of little things happening. Go ahead. So they already announced all of the new mission leaders, but now the church news is going through and giving you the bios of the church, uh, newly called church mission presidents and where they're yeah. serving. So they have like some real cute couple pics. Yeah. So when I was a missionary, because when I served in Ukraine, we didn't have access to anything. Uh, like you couldn't watch TV. There was no internet. So what we had was the church news and the church periodicals. And so I, I would read all the bios of all the mission presidents because there was yeah. nothing else to read. Yeah. And um, back in the day, they used to put the careers, like what the person did as a profession. Oh, right. Yeah. I noticed they're not doing that anymore. You yeah, only see noticed... all of their church callings. Yeah. Well, I like that they um, that they have the husband and the wife yep. both listed as the president. I also noticed that most of them are not from Utah. Most yeah. of the new mission presidents are California, Arizona, and then a couple from Oregon, and then outside of the United States. Um, yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool, too. Do you want to know the other thing I do now that I'm an older person? Sure. I, I look for the people that are about my age, and I look at their picture, and I say, do they look younger than me or older mm, than me? I do that all the time, too. Like, we're the yeah. same age. Which one of us is aging better? Why do they look it's... so old? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so do I. <laughs> okay, next up, did you know that um, Easter is only going to be one hour sacrament meeting oh. from now on? Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be from now on, it's going to be the Sunday that's closest to Christmas and Easter Sunday. It's just going to be a one hour service and it's going to be sacrament meeting. And, you know, hopefully it's going to be very Easter or Savior centered and kind of the same idea as Christmas. Like, let's invite our community and let's have a really faithful Sunday. That's a great idea. Was New yeah. Year's also New Year's Day? Was that one hour church? No, it wasn't. Oh. Did you oh. only go to one hour? Because that's okay. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> uh, sometimes on, on holiday Sundays, I'm driving to and from vacation spots. Sure. And so I just turn on church on my phone. Some I find some Zoom channel of church and just listen yeah. to it on my phone. So yeah. then I don't get to do the second hour. So I would be unaware if there was a second yeah. hour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Allowed. Okay. I'm excited about that. The next quick story is that uh, there's two stories from uh, abroad. One is that the church in Dubai is joining with, or they did in the past, they joined with the Sikh congregation. At, it's actually the largest Sikh temple in the world. And they had like a day of service where they were putting together, I think it was food bags or something. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Who's the most famous Sikh? Nuru Ganak. Ga, mm, that's uh, not who I was Guru, thinking of. Guru Nanak. That's his name. I said his name oh, backwards. That's not who I was thinking of. I was thinking of uh, Dwight Schrute from The Office. Is he a Sikh? What's his, what's his name? 
What's his actual? Oh, in real name? life, he's a saint. In real life, yeah. No. I can't think of his name now. No, yeah, he is. He's he's written um, two books, and the, his last one was called Soul Boom: The Need for a Spiritual Re- Revolution. And that just came out last year, and his this, one before that was an autobiography about yeah, being a Sikh. Sikhs don't cut their hair. Okay. Maybe what is his name in real life? Uh, I can't remember his name. Yeah, okay, but, hold on. But you know the word guru? The word guru that we use all the time comes from the Sikh religion because that's their word for like a holy person. Oh, is a okay. Guru. Okay, Rain Wilson is his real name. We're going to Google if Rain Wilson is a Sikh. Rain Wilson religion. Uh-oh, I'm totally <laughs> wrong. Bahai. Oh, okay. I mixed up seek and Baha'i. Hey, Oops. you know what? Hey, I bet fun they're... fact for a different conversation. Okay, so if it comes up at another time in real life, Twice now you know. Rain Wilson did write Spiritual Revolution. <laughs> it has nothing to do with today or anything we're talking about. Carry on, Maddie. Sikhs don't, the Sikh men don't cut their hair. So they have long beards and they have okay. turbans on their head because they oh. put all of their hair in the turban. So that's a sure sign that Rain Wilson's not a Sikh. If he doesn't yeah. dress the Do you know lighter. what I should do? I yeah. should host a religious podcast. <laughs> you should. You should. I'm smart. We should add in a segment called Famous Baha'i. <laughs> we, <laughs> okay. we can talk about who's the famous Baha'i. The other thing okay. I think is kind of interesting is Elder Renlund visited the prime minister of Cambodia. Um, I Yeah, I actually think it's really cool the way that our church leaders are able to visit with world leaders around the globe. Like it just yes. shows what a global church it has become. And the fact that um, we're trying to live our religion, right? Our religion isn't just about us, I don't know, being like the best. Our religion is about us serving, uniting, and being Christians. And so I think that we're showing that as we unite with other world leaders and other faiths. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I like it. Okay, next story, Melissa. Okay, so um, there's another temple open house that just began. It's the Red Cliffs Utah Temple. It used when they announced it, they were calling it the Washington Temple or the Washington County Temple, but it's officially called the Red Cliffs Temple. St. George Temple just got rededicated. This is a couple miles from there. It's the Red Cliffs Temple. I think this is interesting simply because um, when I was down in St. George a few weeks ago, the temple is clearly finished. The Red Cliffs Temple has been finished for a long time. In fact, I think before the St. George Open yeah. House, the Red Cliffs Temple was completed yeah. and it's just kind of been sitting. Yeah. waiting for its turn and it's its turn now. So it's going to run all of the month of February and then be dedicated in late March. Will it be dedicated by Jeffrey R. Holland? What do you think? They haven't announced, but I kind of, I kind of think so. I don't I know. I thought it was, but I thought they announced it would be Henry B. Eyring. And so then oh. I wondered, does Elder Holland feel slighted? Do but- you think they had a thumb war or an arm wrestle to determine? <laughs> They were just like looking at their schedules who had vacation in St. George planned for that weekend. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay. So, but let me ask you this. The red is there a city called Red Cliffs? No, there's a canyon called Red Cliffs. Okay, do you know any other temple that's named for a canyon and not for the city it's in? Aren't ev- Sure. Timpanogos, Mount Timpanogos Temple. Oh. Oh, right? like, I, think they're, I think they're more commonly doing that now is leaning towards instead of naming it after a city naming it after like a the Provo City uh, Center. Locale. The yeah, oh, okay. not that one, not the Orem. But I think I think they do. But there's that one that was it. a okay. That's in, well, do you like it better if it's a city name or a, a geographic marker name? I like geographic marker. 
But there's red cliffs all over distinct. the world. You could get That's confused true. of like which red cliffs it is. Yeah, I could get confused. I could show up at the wrong temple or something. I wonder yeah, who gets to know. choose the names. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. That'd be a fun job. I know. I think it's the prophet. No way. I think you he think, does. You think President Nelson chooses the names? Well, he makes the announcements. Well, he didn't announce the Red Cliffs Temple. I know. Yeah, right. Well, I just wonder. Okay, well, I will, um, I'll definitely investigate when I'm investigating other things that I don't know anything about. I spent more time on your story because I'm not excited about the next story. Why not? <laughs> I don't know. You're an academic. You should love this next story. So there's a call for papers. The Church History Symposium is happening. It'll be at the Church History Library and at Brigham Young University. They do it every two years. And it's true. I do love it that the church um, supports these kind of symposia. And if you're a historian, you should follow the link in the show notes so you can know all about this particular symposium. It's going to focus on the history of, I think, the Young Women Organization. The Young Men and the Young Women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's cool. I really like that they do it. It invites, it helps scholars that are members of our church to gather from around the world and like meet with each other and stuff like that. But it's just not an exciting story. Hey, there's going to be a history conference. You should come. Matt. Okay. History is the only way we can learn. If you don't know your history. That's right. Something you'll repeat. You're doomed to live in the celestial kingdom. <laughs> if you don't know the history of the Young Men, Young Women organization, you're doomed to repeat that history. Oh, the young okay. Men, young women, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Did you know um, back in the day, back in the day to get the Young Womanhood Award, uh, young women had to demonstrate that they properly knew how to put kerosene in a pond to kill the mosquitoes that were growing in the pond? Really? I did not know that. Things like that you might learn at this symposium. Symposium, Yeah. <laughs> See, it was riveting. (laughs) All right. um, This next article comes from LDS Living, and um, it's kind of a puff piece, but I also think it's worth talking about. Uh, The Sunday School General Presidency just kind of talked about um, what the purpose of a Sunday School teacher is, like what their calling actually is. I think we've seen the church try to go through kind of a change in the past decade about like what Sunday school should look like, right? More um, group discussion, more conversational, less um, I'm going to sit down and get through all of this material because it's really, really important. Um, I do think a lot of Sunday school's classes have made a shift and I think a lot are still, still real old school. Yeah. Um, But anyways, we can talk about that in a second, but overall, um, what the Sunday School General Presidency said that their their job as a Sunday School General Presidency, they said they have a very simple calling. Number one, getting the scriptures deeper into the hearts and souls of the saints. And number two, to improve gospel teaching. And so as a Sunday School teacher, you shouldn't be like, what points do I need to make? Which um, scriptures do I need to have somebody read? Which little pieces of paper should I pass out for people to read quotes? Um, don't think that way. Instead, think, what can I do to inspire the learners in my class to be more diligent in their own personal study? So it's really a class about encouraging us to study on our own, which is kind of interesting. What do you think about that? I think that nobody goes to a class that's like that. Hmm. <laughs> I think I appreciate that the church is trying to change the way Sunday school is run. But in my own yeah. personal observation, we have in our ward, he's a retired educator. I taught mm-hmm. in like public schools for 30 years. 
Mm-hmm. And his method of teaching is a PowerPoint presentation that he mm-hmm. lectures for an hour. Yeah. There's not yeah. any comment, not anybody says anything. And he always goes over like by five minutes, never mm-hmm. ends on time. Mm-hmm. He's not the Sunday school teacher anymore, but he was the most beloved Sunday school teacher. And everybody wanted to go to his class because mm-hmm. they just loved it. And then we have other Sunday school teachers that are very kind of like, we would call it maybe a Socratic method kind of thing where they say, what did you read in your scriptures this week? What would you like to discuss? And they have a broad framework of what they would like to discuss, but they rely on the class members to share based on the things they've been reading in their scriptures. And Mm -hmm. that class is not popular generally. And most you'll get like five or 10 kind of people that like to do that sort of thing. But so I don't know. I feel like the membership of the church doesn't really like the way that the Sunday school presidency is trying to move Sunday school. Hmm. People want to just go there and kind of be on their phone or something like that. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Here's what I think. Sunday school is too long. Okay. <laughs> A full hour is too long. I, you know, we made that shift when we went to two hour church and it shifted from like a 35 to 40 minute lesson to a 55 minute lesson. And it is too long. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, there's nothing I hate worse than when the teacher says, okay, let's split up into groups and you guys are going to discuss this mm-hmm. scripture and you guys are going to discuss this scripture. Even though I know they're like trying to do the model as a, as a firm introvert and person who does not want to engage with strangers, even people that I love in that way, I, I get the heebie jeebies when that happens. So However, you prefer I do think the better learning thing? takes place. I don't prefer the lecture. I don't like a person who stands up and is like, here's everything that I've learned and now I'm going to teach it to you. I, I find that to be arrogant and it, uh, boring. So, so I, I understand what you're saying. I think, um, you know, I think when I taught Sunday school to 16, 17, 18 year olds, um, I really did in fact want them to have to engage and actually think about what they thought. And sometimes that takes a minute for them to figure out what they think, right? Yeah. And I think the model is, hey, let's think about what we think. Let's figure that out during the week as we read Come Follow Me and then come engage with each other. Because I think overall, that's the right model just because, like you said earlier, we want everyone in this church. And what that means is I want to hear everybody's thoughts and opinions. I don't want to just hear the one guy who knows everything about the scriptures and has been reading and reading and now has a PowerPoint presentation for me. I want to hear what he thinks, but I also want to hear what everybody else thinks. And so I think as we move more to this model and get more comfortable with it, hopefully we're getting to hear from people that we wouldn't normally get to hear from. Yeah. Maybe. Well, I wonder what you think about the primary model because I've been in young men's for three years, so I haven't been to elders quorum in a long time. So I don't know how they're doing mm-hmm. things there. I had been going to Sunday school, but for then like the last three months, I would help my wife in primary with this new primary. You do singing time for like 20 minutes and then you move to class and then you have a lesson for like 25 minutes. Yeah. And I, I was like, this is actually the sweet spot for me. I would love to do singing time as adults for 20 minutes. I would too. Move, stand up and move around and get our wiggles out and then sit down and have a 30 minute lesson. Yeah, I think, I think that would be great. I mean, maybe it's singing time once a month and then, you know, on the second Sunday, it's something else, or I guess, I guess Sunday school is only twice a month, but yeah, I mean, I think it would be great to do something like that. That's just 
that's engaging and uniting, but maybe isn't like, and now turn to your partner and tell them how you feel. Well, whoever's in charge of writing Sunday school policy for the church, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we would love it if you would put that as an option. Not everybody has to do it, but the hymns are a prayer. And maybe we could like incorporate singing time into some Sunday school time if we wanted to. We have the best ideas. (laughs) To get our wiggles out. That one was a little (laughs) bit longer. Okay, this story is, we're going to go from a little bit of levity to, well, I don't know. There's another lawsuit against the church alleging tithing misuse. This is from a couple in California, and I think they're trying to make it a class action lawsuit. And what they allege is that the church told people, specifically, tithing dollars would not be used to build the Ensign Creek development in like near Temple. Yeah, City Creek. Yeah, City Creek. Temple Square. But based on these other whistleblower things, we now see that there was a fund and the the like a lot of the money from that fund came from tithing dollars and then that fund was used to build city creek so the church deceived people in saying that tithing money would not be used to build city creek because in fact tithing money was kind of used to build city creek and so they want their money back from the church okay um yeah i think we've seen lawsuits like this obviously before we've talked about this a little bit before um yeah, I don't understand I, the law I, around it. I don't understand the law around it either. I also just don't pay tithing. I mean, if you want to donate money and say specifically where it goes, then that's what those other line items are for, right? Like I can say this specific money is going to go to young women's fundraiser or, you know, whatever right. it is. Right. Mission fund, Book of Mormon fund. Mm-hmm. Tithing, it's not mine anymore. Yeah, so when missionaries teach in their lessons, tithing is used for operating the church, or maybe they'll okay. get into some specifics, right? And so, and or when church leaders say this is how tithing money is used, I I don't really feel like that's them telling us give us your tithing so that we can use it on this. When they mm. say give us your tithing, it's like there's a doctrinal foundation for why you pay tithing, and it's sort of this idea of you pay tithing and you don't ask what it's going to be spent on. Yeah. And so maybe I can understand why a person might feel deceived if mm-hmm. they were to learn that not all tithing money goes to buildings and and church operations. I could understand that. Yeah, um, I can too. Yeah. I don't okay. think I would sue over that. But that's okay. Well, yeah, that's okay. Um next up, the Heber Valley Temple in Heber, Utah has been facing some conflict. There's a dark skies group that and I, I think we've talked about this before, but basically yeah. they don't like the um, the lighting around the temple. Um, it's interfering with the dark skies in that part of the world. Um, they have come up against some uh, lawsuits. They filed lawsuits. They filed petitions, and just most recently, they tried to get a vote on the ballot on the local ballot about whether the lighting should be approved or allowed. Um, they tried to get it on the ballot. They needed a little over 3,000 signatures to get it on the ballot, and they did not get enough signatures. And so it will not be voted on by the Heber community, oh. and um, it's uh, it's a loss for the dark skies and, I guess, a win for the Heber Valley Temple. I don't think it's over. I don't think this is the last we'll hear about it, but that's what just happened. But it appears that they do not have the public behind them and the in the community, right? Right. right. If you can't right. get enough signatures to get on the ballot, 
you probably would have lost your vote anyways. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of the people who are trying to protect the dark skies aren't actually from Heber. Um, And so the people who are in Heber, well, because the dark skies is a thing like, you know, that we like to protect around the entire world. Um, They're afraid of light pollution, right? Yeah. So if you're not in that community, why is, why are you like the temple's not going to shine a flashlight over at your house in the woods? Yeah, but there's just not that many places in the world that are still like a dark skies area. And so this makes one less of those places, basically. We should tell them about Altamont, Utah, Melissa. Oh, (laughs) yeah. It's pretty dark there at nighttime. There's a lot of places in Utah. If you're looking for dark skies, Utah's probably got more than its fair share of dark skies. That's true. Yeah. Anyways, they didn't win and we'll move on. Yeah. So President or Elder Kieran did an interview. Um, he's been doing the rounds. I think this story is from the New York Times. If it's not, it's a pretty, it's a national outlet. Yeah. And he said that the church needs to do a better job uh, helping sex abuse victims heal. And in a related yes. story, um, there's a stake president in Pennsylvania who's been charged, uh, and I think he's been arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, for not reporting sexual abuse that was happening in his stake when he knew about it because church leaders are mandated re- mandatory reporters in that state. And so yeah. he's going to face legal action. Yeah. Um, so in that yeah. Pennsylvania case, um, in that Pennsylvania case, that's kind of different than the ones that we've heard about in the last year. Like in Arizona, the law is different than in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. right? Right. So um, State so- by state. State by state is different, which is why there's the hotline, basically. That's that's why there's the hotline, so that regardless of where you live, if you're a church leader, you can call and say, what am I required to do? What am I obligated to do? And what am I not allowed to do? Because in Arizona, it's my understanding that in that case, they were told, yeah, you're not allowed to report. Whereas yeah. in Philadelphia, you're required to report. And so, yeah, he's been arrested because he's required to report and he did not. So in this specific situation where we talk about helping sex abuse victims heal, and then we talk about whether clergy should be mandated to report, um, do you think that having clergy as mandated reporters helps sex abuse victims to heal? Um, If... It's I'm hard, not an right? expert on this. Right, it's really uh, yeah, hard. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I've heard I've heard arguments in both directions, right? Yeah. Like if right. if a church leader is mandated to report, then people won't confess to church leaders, for example. Right. That's um, one argument, right? Yeah. And the other argument is if they if they know about the abuse and they don't report it, then it can continue to happen. And then right. that's not, obviously not helping somebody to heal. Yeah. So it's like a really tough that's like a tough thing, right? Like, on the one hand, I, I agree with everyone is going to agree with Elder Kieran. Nobody's going to say, no, 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 no. The church should actually be doing less to help sex abuse victims heal. Like, yeah. that's an easy statement to make. But when it comes to the, like, concrete things, like, what could we do? That's where it gets really hard to say. What could we do to do a better job? Well, one thing that Elder Kieran said is he said that it's really it it's difficult to overcome the trauma that comes from abuse, right? Yeah. And that one incident of abuse is too many just because it is so much trauma. And yeah. so anything like whatever we can do to make it so even if there was just one less case, then we should do that. 
Um, So he's not suggesting policy, but he is suggesting like, we have to, we have to do more. Um, And I think, I think that as a, as a teacher, as a public school teacher, I'm a mandatory reporter, right? So if I hear about abuse, I have to report it. That's awesome. But morally, I feel like I'm a mandatory reporter. Yeah. And so the difficult thing for me is if you are in a state where you are not a mandatory reporter, what if you want to report, but you're not supposed to, or you're not allowed to? Like, I think that that causes some definite moral conflict for those lay people who are put in those leadership positions yeah. who on a moral ground want to report because that's all they know how to do to stop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I have two thoughts um, as you were talking that I thought of. So when I was a, a bishop in a YSA ward, um, I was just shocked at the sheer number of people I talked to who had been victims of sexual abuse when they were younger. Yes. Yeah. And so um, just because in my world, I, I just, people don't talk about it that much. So you don't know. Yeah. And I think that like, just how we say in the church, you should assume that people are struggling, even though you can't right. see it. You, right. People would just be shocked at the number of people that are sexual abuse victims. So I think um, one in Utah, it's, it's one in four girls. That's that the current yeah. statistic. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me based on my personal experience. And yeah, but that's an incredibly high it's number. It's horrible. Right. Yeah. And so I think so I think what could we do as a church like not institutionally like what could they do what could we do? Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. one we could recognize that mental help like psychological help there are people out there with tools that really can help people mm-hmm. um, deal with this sorts of abuse and trauma and sometimes I think that that stuff gets stigmatized the idea of going to a therapist and going to a psychologist. So mm-hmm. one thing we could do is be way more open to the idea of Somebody needs to heal. Let's get them to the proper professionals that can help them with it. Okay. And then I, I think the other thing we could do is maybe sometimes people are flippant in their conversation about it. They don't recognize that somebody they're talking with or to about that stuff could be st- struggling with it. And we yes. could just be a little more cautious in the way we talk about some things. Yeah. I think that's really true. Yeah. Really true. Okay. Um, well, and thanks to um, Elder Kieran for shining a light on it. I mean, he said a lot of other things in his press conference, but that was something that the press really picked up on. And, and I'm glad that he had an opportunity to do that. Yeah. So I think the b- best thing we can do is when Elder Kieran says the church should do more or the church should be better, we should say we are the church and we can yeah. do better. Really good. True. Okay. I'm going to give us some quick updates on a couple of Mormon behaving badly stories. The first is on Jody Hildebrandt. She's the um, mommy blogger, YouTuber, um, I think eight passengers, seven passengers. I can't remember. Yeah. Eight passengers um, who um, has actually pled guilty to abusing two of her children. Um, uh, She um, basically the update is that she wanted to sell her home and her husband, or I don't know if he's an ex-husband now. I know he's filed for divorce. Ex-husband. He said, I don't think she should be allowed to sell the home because that money from the purchase of the home might need to be used to make sure that these kids who've been abused can afford therapy um, and afford um, help. So Hmm. the judge said, you can sell your home, Ms. Hildebrandt, but you need to set aside a hundred thousand dollars of your home's profits 
um, to be used um, in a judgment against you. And right now we don't know wow. what that judgment will be, but you have to set aside at least a hundred thousand for that. So I bet you could get more than her. I bet you could get more than a hundred thousand in the judgment against her for that. Yeah, it's interesting, huh? I mean, yeah, yeah I I don't yeah. know how they come up with the numbers, but yeah, it was interesting yeah. to me too. Um, and then the second update is on Tim Ballard. Um, there has been a lot going on with Tim Ballard, but this story is about actual, um, a disciplinary hearing that was held with him and the church. Now, disciplinary hearings are private, right? Yes. They're not supposed to. Yeah, they're confidential. And so nobody has really known what the status of Tim Ballard's membership in the church is. Um, we can talk about whether they should or not, because that's private. The church would never... Right, the church would no. never come out and say they would never confirm or deny any allegation right. like that. Right, absolutely, and they haven't. Um, so this story is basically um, one of the people who used to work closely with Ballard, um, and she's telling about that the things that she was asked to testify about in his disciplinary hearing. So basically, yeah. our understanding now is that he had a disciplinary hearing. Um, she's talked about what she was asked to say in that disciplinary hearing, but at the end of the day, she actually did not testify at all. Um, anyway. And she, I think she alleges that he's been excommunicated in that same filing, she said. But the timing of that's interesting, right? Because the timing Mm -hmm. of that is like right after the elder Ballard stuff came out is the timing of when he was excommunicated according to those documents. Yeah. 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 Um, I... You want to talk about disciplinary hearings real quick? I sure do. Just yeah. First, I thought, One of my I thought favorite so. topics. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm glad that they're private. I don't think that they should be public. Right. However, comma, if I'm a victim of somebody, um, and again, Tim Ballard hasn't been convicted of anything yet, but if I'm a victim of somebody, there is a sense of relief or peace or healing that can come from knowing that my church has formally condemned their actions against me. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Melissa, it goes further than that. Family members, right? I know Mm -hmm. situations where there's spouses where like a husband will do something and then he'll tell his wife, I went to the church and I've repented and, uh, and these are the, these are the things I was told. And Mm -hmm. like a spouse can't go to the Bishop and say, can you tell me what happened in that church disciplinary thing? Because yeah. they can't. They can't tell the wife what happened. So there are yeah. times when in marriages, people think that somebody's been to their bishop, repenting, participating in a council or whatever, and the husband or wife is lying to their spouse, and there's no way for them to know that they actually yeah. never went to the bishop and went through any of that repentance stuff. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. And And again, I do think that's how it should be. I do think that that your membership is is personal and private. But I yeah, yeah but I think somebody, there's some interesting pieces to that. People that are <laughs> people that are involved in this situation, right, should have some yeah. idea of what's happening. It should not be 100% on the member of the church to decide who gets that and who doesn't get that information. Because hmm. there are people aligned. When we go back to we could do more to help sex abuse victims, one thing you could do is let people know kind of what the church is doing about it. At least those hmm. that have a, don't you think some yeah. people have a right to know what's happening? Well, yeah, I think that's the conversation to have, right? Because like if my young men's leader has been 
removed from the church because he has committed a sexual abuse against somebody in my ward. Do I do I need to know all of the details? No, but no. maybe it's helpful to know because then maybe I need to say to my kid, hey, did anything ever happen? Because, you know, like otherwise you don't think to ask or I don't know. There's just right. so there, there's the, reasons to have knowledge. So like like this happens all the time, but if there's a disciplinary hearing, there's something you put in the computer and there's something that goes attached to the person's record so that if they move to another ward, the bishop can look it up and they can see the notes and they can contact the prior bishop and kind of find out what's going on. But let's mm-hmm. say that you tell everybody you went to your bishop and repented and then you move to another ward where nobody knows you. Mm-hmm. Nobody in that new ward will have any idea what happened in the past because there's yeah. not anything in your record to indicate that anything ever happened because yeah. you never went. And then yeah. your spouse, your family, everyone, they're going to assume that the new bishop knows when in reality, the new bishop has no idea and the new stake and all, nobody has any idea. Yeah. Like the, that current process makes it really easy for serial predators to continue in that behavior. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. I'm really glad we well, had that conversation. Well, that's right. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, wow. let's let's talk famous Mormons. Oh, I love famous Mormons. It's where you know people and I don't know any of them, and I guess which one of them are Mormon or Mormon adjacent. That's right. And so okay, this great. week I decided to do something a little different. Okay. I'm I'm not on Instagram. I mean, I am, but mm-hmm. not really. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, let's find some Instagram celebrities because maybe okay. Melissa or our listeners might know who these people are. Okay. Even okay. though I don't. And we're going to okay. guess which of them is LDS or LDS okay. adjacent. Okay. Okay, so the, perfect. The first one is, her name's Brianna, and her Instagram handle is Bits of Brie. Have you heard of Bits, Bits of Brie? Bits of Brie. Is it Brie Cheese? No, no, no. Her name's Brianna. <laughs> I know, I know. Bits uh, of Brie. She has 183,000 um, followers. Matt, that's not even Instagram famous. Okay, okay. But fine, so, okay. Okay, great. all right. Melissa okay. Weiss. Hers is at Weiss Fam. At, at Weiss Fam. At, yeah, at the Weiss Fam. She and has what's hers about? 217,000 followers. It's about being a mom. Listen, okay, okay. Um, you know, I'm, it's hard for me to figure out who's Instagram famous. Okay. 217,000 seem like a lot to me. Okay. Okay. The last one is Amber Filler Up. She has okay. over a million followers. I think almost two million That's followers. Better. That's do better. That's better. Do you know who she is? Amber Filler Up Clark? I don't. Okay. Um, well, maybe our listener knows these people. So Brie, Melissa, or Amber. I'm going to go with Melissa because that's my name. Oh, good guess. But no, it's Amber Filler Up Clark. Okay. The most she, famous. She really is. the The one with the most followers. Yeah. And she's got, um, what does she put on Instagram? I think she lives in Hawaii. Okay. I don't, I don't know what these people do. I'm not good at the Facebook. She's the founder of Day Hair. Okay. Okay. And of B&B Hair. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it looks like she does oil painting, scrapbooking, kids snacks, glassware, and doodles. Mm. So she's crushing it. I think these people are all called. Yeah. Amber, we're so glad you're a member of our church. Yeah. And uh, sorry, I don't know who you are. But yeah. you know, mommy bloggers, so that's not my world. I don't I don't know mommy bloggers. Yeah. Matt, that was really good this week. <laughs> I'm glad you decided to mix it up. That's fun. Yeah, I think some of our listeners are really excited to find out that Amber <laughs> Filler Up is a member it's, of our church because they've probably been following so her and they're like, is she? Uh-huh. Isn't she? And now right. they know. Right. Okay. Okay. 
Uh, big deal, little deal, or no deal. Oh, I love this segment. This is so I know. fun. Okay. I'm going to give you a headline. You're going to say if it's big deal, little deal, or no deal. Okay. Okay. okay so um, diverse portraits of Christ. Diverse portraits of Christ are going to be featured in a new art show. Okay. Big okay. deal, little deal, or no deal. Three, two, one. Big deal. Little deal. Oh. Oh, good, good, good. Good. Well, it's is, a it deal. A ch- is it a church art show? Well, it's in Provo, Utah, but it is not specifically a church art show. Um, It was actually put on by a group that's called Meeting House Mosaic. And Meeting House Mosaic is a group of Latter-day Saint women. And so sort of church-ish adjacent. Mm -hmm. But so this group of LDS women, their whole thing is that they want to promote diverse representation in the art that we use in our meeting houses. So that's their kind of... Thing. This is why I said big deal. Okay. Okay. So I I'll just say, finish telling you that yeah. there's going to be a new art show in Provo that's put on by this group that's interested in diverse meeting house portraits. And basically it's a bunch of uh, images of Christ and um, he is not a white Christ. Um, I'm looking at some of the art and it's really, really good. Um, but there's like, for example, one that's like a Chinese savior with the children or an Asian of some kind. I guess I don't know. It doesn't say you don't specifically. Know that it's specifically Chinese, but there's um, there's a, a black savior, and and there's savior the saviors that look more like we assume he should look growing up where he grew up. Mm-hmm. And um, anyways, it's going to be showing in Provo, and I think it's pretty cool. Why I do you like think it. it's a big deal? Because Jesus wasn't white, mm-hmm. and um, I and un- like I understand why I like the white Jesus paintings. And for that very same reason, I think that somebody of a different racial background would like a Jesus that looks like them. Mm-hmm. So we should have more of that in our churches. So do you have a problem with a uh, representation of Jesus as an Asian? No, not at all. I don't have either. You, yeah. Uh, we do these nativities at Christmas time and mm-hmm. we have nativities of like, we have an Eskimo, like a, I think Eskimos will slur these words. We have an Induit, uh, okay. an igloo. Um like nativity display that we put up where it's instead mm-hmm. of like a sheep and a camel or whatever, it's like a polar bear and a penguin. And yeah. like these things are all creation, artistic representations that speak to a certain audience. The idea is to make him feel personable and feel like somebody that you could trust or someone that understands you. And, and someone so, that's known to you that you, yeah. that you identify with. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about the mission for more diverse artwork in meeting houses? I like that. I don't think I do too. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoy pioneer art, but I also sometimes take some of those paintings and laugh at them because as artwork, it's not always very good. And <laughs> I'm happy having it in our meeting houses, but we should have other stuff out there too. And um, I was in the New York's, the Manhattan temple has a chapel underneath it. Right. So it's like, it's like mission headquarters, temple and chapel all in one. And mm-hmm. if you go to that meeting house, I don't know if it's still like that, but one time I was there and a member of their bishopric or one of the bishops, he had done all of his own paintings of scenes in the Book of Mormon. And that meeting house is decorated with his original artwork. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is so cool to see Book of Mormon scenes painted that I've never seen painted before and yeah. see this artistic expression of it. So I think we need more art in our meeting houses than the stuff we typically have. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Okay. Yeah. Okay. My neck, my story is Mr. Beast partners with Just Serve. 
He encourages you love his Mr. Beast. I know you can't say that before I say if it's a big I'm dope. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Mr. Beast. He encourages his followers to get on the Just Serve app. Was that a big okay. deal, little deal, or no deal? Three, two, one. Big deal. Big deal. Yeah, way big deal. He's got I, don't, a, a I don't follow Mr. Beast like you do and love him and know him. But yeah, he has <laughs> so many followers. He is the yeah. second most followed person in the world. Yeah. On YouTube. Right. So that's that's, that's a big deal. He's got a billion followers. Is he LDS? Yeah. No. No. no, but recently he's decided that he wanted to start doing more philanthropic things. And so he started a different YouTube channel just dedicated to charitable kinds of things. He just huh. has a huge following. I, now, when you say I, that I love him, I don't ever really watch his videos. I just follow him. But I you admire like, him. You like who he is. Yeah. Yeah. I admire. Yeah. I admire what he does. He he went. He figured out how to make YouTube into a very profitable thing for him. And now mm-hmm. he uses that to do good things for other people. And I think that that's yeah. great. And I think so too. Like a billion people. We get so excited that we have 17 million members of the church. He's got a billion followers. Yeah. We're, that's crazy. If everybody in the whole church was following him on YouTube, it'd be 1.7% of that's his. That's crazy. Or even less than that, right? Because yeah, a, a billion is a thousand million. Anyhow. Yeah. Our whole church is so small compared to... So anyhow, it's a huge... For him to publicize Just Serve is really big for us. Do you know what Just Serve is? Have you ever used it? Yeah, it's it's an app or a website that you can go on to look for service opportunities in your community. Yeah. I love it. And it's not just church service opportunities. No, 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 no. The church lets all kinds of people upload what service they need and and how people can help and when and where. And it's a really cool app, honestly. When my daughter got home from her mission... She was like, I don't know what to do with my life. And I was like, let's go mm-hmm. and just serve and find opportunities to serve. And there were tons of them. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, I think that's cool. Okay, next up, here you go. LDS seminaries will soon add to their curriculum life preparation lessons. Three, two, one. No deal. No deal. <laughs> yeah, it's just so oh, stupid. Oh, we agree. So dumb. So Listen, dumb. Yes, it is. I 100% agree. No offense to the seminary because I think they're doing a great work out there in in the world. But um, so basically the story is, is that in addition to the seminary curriculum, they're going to add in these 36 lessons that have to do with preparing for your life. Um, things like education, self-reliance, healthy habits, but they're going to link them to the gospel. So mm. um, healthy habits based in the scriptures, right? Self-reliance based in the scriptures. And they're just trying to like teach the students how to involve the Lord in their decisions and in their learning. Uh, why do I think it's no deal? I, for the love of heaven, think they already do this. I, yeah, I, I really do. Like when we're, when we're teaching these gospel principles, which we do already teach, are we not already teaching it this way? And 36 lessons is a lot. That's like one a week. I know. That's supposed to be this new kind of lesson. Count, tell me your thoughts, Matt. Uh, I don't like it at all. <laughs> Go on. I'm, well, first of all, seminary teachers aren't trained to teach this stuff. That's not their right. field of that expertise. That is true. That is true. I, um, I did have that thought. Like, okay, so now you're like a life coach. Right. <laughs> like, now right. you're a counselor. Like, also, these are some of these are decisions that 
that I want to be making with my children, not having right. seminary teacher tell them the decision that's the right one. Not, not that I think they're doing that. I mean, I think they're trying to say like, let's just teach you how to make decisions using the gospel as your guide. But So about 10 years ago, um, Kim Clark, who was, anyhow, he was kind of high up there in church education. Mm-hmm. I had a conversation with him where he said to me, people are not ready for college and they need to have these sort of skills but they don't need a whole remedial class. He was telling me how okay. like in colleges, these remedial learning classes are not successful because you need 10% of what they're teaching you, 90% of it you don't need. And so you don't do mm. well in the class because you are bored with 90% of the curriculum and you only need 10%. And so he's like, we're trying to find a way that the church could create learning modules that could help people find targeted lessons for just the things that they need to help them develop okay. some kind of a skill in life. And when he said that, I thought, that's a great idea. If you want to create learning modules and put them on the church website and make them available for people who need to develop skills and they say, here's some really good curriculum that experts in the field have developed. I love that. This Mm -hmm. is not that. This is, this is like, yeah, I don't, I don't understand the purpose. If if we're saying, let's get the church less in your life, let's put it in the home, gospel learning in the home, home centered stuff then why are we taking this and putting it in seminary? And by the way, most seminary teachers outside of Utah and Idaho are volunteers that are called by their stake and they're wonderful people, but their calling involves them teaching seminary classes. And now (laughs) I'm going to tell them, in addition to that, could you also teach them like how to make a meal? Could you teach them? I'm like, I don't, that's a lot to put on people. Well, do you want to know why I think, students are not prepared for college or for adulthood when they turn 18. It's not because of the students. It's because of their parents. Okay. And I say this as an educator and I'm not trying to be mean to parents, but for the love of heaven, back off and let your kids grow up, right? Let them take some control, make some decisions, have some consequences, quit protecting them from the consequences of their actions, quit helicoptering everything they do, quit making sure that they win, that they're successful, that they get the scholarship, that they get all <laughs> the good stuff and none we're, of the bad stuff. We're so opposite and on let this. them learn before they become adults. Let them prepare like, for adulthood. I feel like parents need to take more control of their kids' lives. You do not. I seriously do. Stop. Like, well, yeah, I know. I know. We're the opposite on this. Okay, but I'm right on this. It's possible. It's possible <laughs> you're right. I, I've learned in my life that you're often right and I'm wrong and I'm okay with that. But okay, I thanks. look at it and I say, why aren't these parents parenting? Why are they letting these kids just do whatever they want to do? So it's kind of funny. No, they do the- let them do whatever they want to do. But then when the consequence comes, they try to make it so that there's no repercussion for the actions, that there's oh, no consequence. They try, they try, to, try shield to protect their kids. them from the consequence. So guess oh. what? My student my student did this and now this there's this bad result. Well, let me jump in and tell the teacher they can't give them that grade or they have to make them join the team or make the team or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't want there to be consequences. Sometimes parents think kids are more fragile than they are. And Mm -hmm. they're worried about somebody else going to break their kids or something like that. Yeah. You can't be prepared for life if you don't ever get a chance to practice making choices for yourself and then having the consequences of those choices. Consequences are an important part of learning. All right. Well, that's good. Um, Okay. Elder Gilbert and all of you people at Church Education, listen to the second part of (laughs) Listen to everything we said. (laughs) 
Okay, here's we have my... so many opinions that we want other people to know. Like, could you could you just let us run the universe? We'd be so good at it. We've got it figured out. <laughs> hey, by the way, listener, if you disagree with us, let us know. We'd love to have you join our conversation. It's likely okay. you disagree with one of us because we don't agree with each other. So, <laughs> okay, my story is: What do Utahns and Latter Day Saints say about Biden and Trump as people of faith? Big deal, little deal, no deal. Three, two, one, no deal. Little deal. Ah, Oh, I thought you were going to think it's a deal. No. There's a survey done in Utah. So basically, Republicans think that Biden is not a religious person, and they think that Trump is, and vice versa, right? Democrats Uh think Biden's religious and think that Trump's not religious. Mm -hmm. When in reality, President Biden is the most religious president we've had since Jimmy Carter. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm well, sorry. Like in, in real- reality, in reality. Well, he's he's been to mass. He goes to church every Sunday, basically, and we haven't had a president that did that since Jimmy mm. Carter. Hmm. And I'm, I don't know. You can read this story that's in the link if you want to know, like the reality. Ryan Burge, the religion guy, has done okay. a lot of research about how Biden is a very religious person. Anyhow, okay. in Utah, it, generally Republicans say Mitt Romney is less religious than Donald Trump. But mm-hmm. if you do the survey in Utah, people are like, oh, no, Mitt Romney's religious. And then okay. the question of Biden and Trump, shockingly, comes down to partisanship. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not as much as in other places, but still a lot. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's no deal, right? No, that's no deal. You're right. Yeah, You're right. But thank you for explaining that to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know who JTM or James the Mormon is? Because that's who my no. next story is about. I've never okay. heard of this person. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, um, ra- rapper James the Mormon is at a creative crossroads. Big deal, little deal, no deal. Three, two, one. <laughs> I'm going to say big deal, little deal. <laughs> oh, okay. I've okay, never listen, heard of him, um, but I just listened to this podcast um, on NPR. It's called World Cafe, and they interview music artists. And JTM is what he goes by now. He used to go by James the Mormon. He's a moderately big deal in the music world. And um, basically, he just um, on this podcast talked about um, how he originally um, wanted to become a rapper to bring people to the church. So that's why he called himself James the Mormon, right? Okay, big deal. People who like rap will listen to my music and like it. And then they'll be like, Mormon, wait, I want to look into that. I'm interested in that. But what happened instead is that Mormons started becoming rap fans. So rap artists, rap listeners didn't become Mormons. Mormons became rap fans. So it kind of happened in reverse. Yeah. That's so great. Um, And so then he changed his name to JTM because he's like, okay, this isn't working how I thought it was, how I thought it would. And he just had realized he'd kind of put himself in a box and there was, you know, he only had this teeny tiny market. So he's Uh. tried to reinvent himself And, um, but basically I think it's a little deal because NPR, um, is listened to by a lot of people. JTM is, is pretty well known. And I think it was a great opportunity for him to share. Actually, he shared his testimony really beautifully on there. Okay. Big deal. Big deal. Yeah. No, he shared his scope of like going through not really believing and then going on a mission. And then he said like, you know, in the last several months, you know, he's, he's, had a lot of people say like, why are you still Mormon? And he's, he's just said like, I'm, I'm not going to leave. I believe I have a testimony and that's who that's I am. Awesome. So yeah, I think that's great. 
in a year from now, in a year from now, it's going to be which of these famous rappers is a member (gasps) of the church, (laughs) and it'll be like Snoop Dogg. Okay, I can't, I can't think of all the rappers. He's probably not even around. It's probably, probably people who listen to rap are like, why are you saying Snoop Dogg? There's la 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 la. That's okay. NBA Young Boy is a bigger deal. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Hey, I like that story. Okay. You know, it seems like every month when we record, we have a story about Hulu or Netflix doing some series about members of our church and portraying it in a bad light. So this story, there's a new series about swinging Mormon wives, and it could be coming to Hulu soon. Is that a big deal, a little deal, or a no deal? Three, two, one. Big deal. Big deal. Oh, I didn't think we were going to agree. I do think it's a big deal. Go ahead. Well, so Sister Wives has been super popular as a television show. I think that Sister Wives is going to have to take a second place to this because swinging wives is more fun than polygamy. <laughs> polygamy, you have to deal with all the like dishes and kids and all the ins and outs of how do you live polygamy. This is way yeah. more fun. So I think it's a big deal. And Real, Housewives of, Real mm-hmm. Housewives of Salt Lake City. Here's why I think it's a big deal. Number one, it proves my longstanding point that Netflix does not like us. Or Hulu. I don't think Netflix likes LDS. Well, no. I, I just don't think they care. Here's the thing. If you're a swinger, you're not a Mormon. I, I Wait. Like you're what? Not- <laughs> you mean they're going to take my temple recommend away if I start doing that? Yeah, like I... Yeah, I, immediately. Yeah. Right. So I just think it's a big deal because it's just one more way that this massive nationwide worldwide audience gets an impression about members of our church that's just not correct. Like, why can't we do a Netflix show that's a reality TV of, you know, actual members of the church actually living their religion? Did you see that BYU TV? BYU TV back in the day had a reality show called The District, and they just followed missionaries around in California. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't a hit, Melissa. It was not that popular. I know. If it was The District swinging then maybe okay, it would have been that's more right. popular. There's nothing salacious. No, right. I just I just am tired of people getting an impression of my community, my religion by something that really doesn't accurately reflect it at all. Right. It's just frustrating. That's all. Yeah, I agree. Hey, okay. let's do twim takes, Melissa. Okay, yeah, twim takes is where we talk about what I want to talk about just because I want to talk about it. Yeah. You're welcome. Today, it's going to be a spinoff of a story that actually happened recently um, with President Holland. So President Holland went to a funeral of an 18-year-old young woman who died um, tragically in a tubing accident. So tubing the winter sport, like sledding. Okay. Mm -hmm. So her name was Kirsten Kate Beagley. She's 18 years old. She lived in Southern Utah. And she died suddenly. And actually, Elder Holland did not know her personally. He said that he read the news report about her death and just felt like he should attend the funeral. So he attended the funeral and he gave um, a talk at the funeral. And he said a lot of really interesting things. Um, The reason he wanted to attend the funeral is because he knew that there would be a lot of young people there and that they might be having questions about... um, Questions about why basically bad things happen to good people Mm -hmm. or um, questions about like 
what, what if I had done this differently or what if she had done this differently or what if we had, you know, what if, what if, um, and he wanted to discourage kind of that way of looking at the situation. Um, he also said something that I really thought was special. He said, um, he said, Christ died of a broken heart. And then he added, I am an old man and my heart has been broken recently. And he's referring Mm. to the death of his wife. Yeah. Um, and I never thought about it that way before. I mentioned earlier that I talked in church this week and it was, um, my topic was love, but, but really what I kind of boiled down to is like, is like, it's a myth in our church that we sometimes teach. And we even sometimes use scripture to back up that if I'm living a good life, then good things will happen to me. Mm-hmm. And if, I, if I'm living a bad life, then I deserve those bad things that happen right. to me. Right. Or if I, at least at the very least, if I'm doing good, I deserve good. Right. Or we and feel so, like the Holy ghost should prompt us away from bad. Warn right, us like, that something bad is yeah. going to happen. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so we should be protected from bad things if we're, if we're doing good things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. So, so I, I guess I just wanted to have a conversation about that because where does, where does this kind of fallacy come from? Because then when we are living good and then something bad does happen, then I think it causes us to look at ourselves and be like, Oh, am I really, am I really living righteously? Like, do you know what I mean? Like to yeah. blame ourselves yeah. or, you know, to blame people around us, right. For the consequences of their actions. And, and, and I think it's just a big circle that we get in that we don't need to. I think it's human nature to want to understand the why behind things. And especially Mm -hmm. when it's something tragic or that just seems so random and so important, it it feels like there should be a why, a reason why. And it Mm -hmm. feels like we should have an answer for that. And so that's why I think that people kind of with the religion will say, well, they must have been being bad, right? Right. Or else that, and and you even see that in the Bible, there's that couple that comes to Jesus and said, who sinned that our son was born blind? And his answer is nobody sinned that your child was born blind. Mm -hmm. But I just think that's a human nature thing to do. Elder Hallstrom talked about this in general conference a while back. He shared some of these tragedies and he, he shared a story where there was a horrible thing and then somebody was miraculously saved. And then Mm, another one mm -hmm. where there was a horrible thing and the person wasn't miraculously saved. And he's like, there is no answer to the reason why this person got the miracle and that person didn't get the miracle. Mm -hmm. That's just an unknowable thing, right? But Mm -hmm. I think in in moments like that, we want something. And so we just turn to the easy thing, which is, well, it must be, was I righteous or was I wicked? Yeah. Well, and and I I guess I would also like us to get away from like what we deserve, right? Like either we mm-hmm. deserve good things or we deserve bad things. And we can understand that we don't always get what we deserve, but like, you know, yeah. like if I'm being good, I deserve good. And and yeah. I I think I'd like to get away from that framework just because nobody deserves bad. Like God doesn't reward evil with evil. God only is love, right? And so I think I'd like us to get away from the framework of of what we deserve, because then it also allows us to get away from the judgment of looking at other people and what, what they deserve. And, and I think that's a move we could probably use in our church. And King Benjamin talks about that, right? Where he says that Uh even if you were to serve God your whole lives, you would still be unprofitable servants. So what we deserve really is not, we, we get way better than what we deserve all the time. What we deserve yeah. is far less than what we're given from God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So um, I thought I thought it was just kind of I thought I thought it was nice that Elder Holland thought here's going to be a bunch of young people and here's a good opportunity to explain to them that let's not get caught up in what if or why or or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and how yeah. cool that just like on a whim he decides I'm going to go to this funeral. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine that meant a lot to the people in the community. Probably the family. I would imagine was very grateful for that. Um, well, and he's he's been dealing with death recently, right? Like yeah. he's still very heartbroken over the death of sister Holland, obviously. Yeah. And for him to be able to be like, here's a little bit of what I've learned as I've been going through this. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, we don't have time for this week in Mormon history. Unfortunately, listener, if you'd like oh. to know about this week in Mormon history, you can look in the show notes. There's some fun stories that happened this week, <laughs> <laughs> but Always. I like I liked the way we ended on Twim Takes. So in in closing, just some things we'd like to remind you of, listener. First of all, remember that you can subscribe to Patreon and get bonus content for just a few dollars a month. And you can subscribe to our social media accounts on Facebook and Twitter. Um, I always like to plug my podcast, particularly right now, Melissa, in this kind of mm-hmm. divisive mm-hmm. political season. As, yes. as people talk about politics, it gets super, super angry. And people, there's this inclination to just kind of like tune out. And Mm -hmm. I like to say that my podcast is a place that you can be informed about politics and current events, Mm -hmm. but you're not going to feel angry about it. Do you feel angry when you listen to my podcast? Sometimes I feel angry when I listen to your podcast, but it's only anger at you specifically. So, (laughs) Right. You might shout at the podcast while we're talking, but it's fun loving. It it actually does always get resolved. Like there is always like, not that we all agree with each other in the end, but here's how we can all communicate with each other effectively with love and with um, camaraderie, even if we don't agree. Yeah. So I don't, I'm not going to say you're going to hear both sides, but you'll hear different perspectives on like current political events in a faith promoting perspective. Anyhow, that podcast is called The Latter Day Lens. But back to this podcast, if you have comments about what we said today, you want us to read Mm -hmm. it on air, or you just want me to read it privately and just tell me how great (laughs) I am and how I'm always right, you can Mm -hmm. email us at contact at thisweekinmormons.com. You could leave a voice comment on our website, thisweekinmormons.com. And anything you want to add there, Melissa? Just thanks so much for listening. To the original Mormon slash Latter-day Saint news podcast. Have a great week, everybody. Take care.